House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren. Who else would I be? And we've got, yeah, <laughs> Mr. David Martino. I am here, Al. How you doing? Yeah, karate and all. And Everything. of course, Mr. Joe Goldberg is back to uh, thrill our audience. I'm thrilling. <laughs> I'm a thrilling. <laughs> a thriller from Manila. Yeah. Okay, today we've got. Sexy. Well, don't don't get me all going here. We won't be able to do the show <laughs> to get get into this. Um, so we've got a great great guest, another one this week. So we're we're really covering this area. So Mr. Simon Gervais, thank you for being here. Oh, you bet, Al. Thanks for inviting me. Always uh, always happy to speak with you guys. So Simon, now you you've had an exciting career. Um, it seems like you've been doing quite well, and um, you just keep on moving up. So what's What's it like uh, in the day of Simon nowadays with, with all this stuff going on? Well, it's getting busy, that's for sure. Now that I'm writing two books a year, as you know, I'm writing my own series with Thomas and Mercer, and I'm now writing the Black Briar series for the Robert Ludlum Estates through uh, uh, Putnam's. Uh, so that keeps me pretty busy. I have uh, two kids, two teenagers, really, 14 and 16. Um, my wife uh, owns a business. She's an endodontist. So keeps us really busy. I travel a lot uh, for my books. I try to visit pretty much every settings that I write about. Uh, so I just came back from uh, St. John at the USVI because my third Clayton White book, which is coming out in October, called The Last Guardian, um, you know, the initial chapters will be set out in uh, St. John Mills, Virgin Island. So I just went there. So this is this is what happened for me usually during year-round. I'm going to do three to four uh, research trip, which I kind of combine with a family vacation at the same time. And then I write my uh, two books a year. So it's keeping me pretty busy. And as you know, maybe as if you guys have teenagers, you know that keeps you busy too. <laughs> Yeah. No, if you follow Simon on social media, you saw him with lots of fish and blue water and blue sky. It was, it was, <laughs> yeah. it was lovely to see how much fun you were having in those in that climate there. Yeah, Simon. it Thank was it much. was really cool. I've always enjoyed fishing, and I wanted my kids to experience offshore fishing. So we chartered a private fishing boat to uh, to go out, uh, maybe about ten fifteen miles offshore. And this is where you catch the maize and the tunas. And I think my son, maybe that's a picture you saw, but he caught a three and a half foot barracuda that, of course, we, we put back in the water um, because this size is, is too big to eat. It could be dangerous for you. Uh, but it was a fabulous experience. And uh, you know how it is. Sometimes you don't catch anything for hours, but within 10 minutes, we had our lines in the water. My wife caught a mahi, and then we waited a little bit. And uh, the captain was pretty good. He saw a flight of birds, and he, we followed it for maybe 30, 35 minutes, and then we hit a flock of the tunas. So the four of us, my wife and two kids, were fish on at the same time pulling our fish in the boat, and we managed to, to bring them all in. So it was a, it was a really cool experience. Really, really yeah, cool. fun family memories. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was going to say that um, that's a research trip in your fishing. Well, kind of. Um. This is a family activity. <laughs> that's why I said I'm combining both, right? Like, for example, oh, I went for a long hike with my son on Keneal Bay, uh, Bay Mountain. 
and I'm going to use that in the book type of thing. So, you know, I try to combine everything. I always have my notebooks with me. I take a lot of pictures with my phone. So then after I summarize the trip, and I'm going to try to use as much as I can to make the setting interesting for readers that often, as you guys know, travel through our books. Some of them are not able to travel like we do, so they, they like to have, you know, to experience through experience travel through our writing. How about COVID? Did you use Google Maps or something? Or? <laughs> I mean, for real. I mean, you couldn't go. So Right. Absolutely. I do use Google Map for a place that I can't visit. Uh, I'm going to research extensively on the internet, but I try to stay away from that as much as I can just because I'm a master procrastinator, and sometimes I'm going to lose hours on a simple search. So uh, uh, if I can stay away and actually go in person, I'm going to do that. But, of course, when COVID hit, uh, like everybody else, I couldn't travel. I'm just wondering how you organize your research. Um, I try to plan a book ahead uh, six months in advance so I know what I'm going to talk about in the book, and then we book a trip around this, this place. Do you have your series lined out? So I'm, I'm, I'm working on book three of my series. I'm like, what do I, what do I really want to do here setting up on book two? So how do you do the entire series in advance? Um, the way uh, it works now, it's a good question. The way it works now for me, especially with uh, Thomas and Mercer, is that uh, they're going to buy a book of mine in advance with a, a simple one-page synopsis. And I can change it as I go, but uh, let's say I'm, I planned the book I'm writing now a year ago or maybe 10 months ago when I finished writing The Last Sentinel. So I knew where I wanted to go, where I wanted to bring the characters. So that's easier for me to plan ahead for uh, for the trips. But... That changes because you never know how the book's going to end, right? So uh, it's a little bit right. more, you know. If you're going ahead a year, 10 months, what are you focusing on? The, how the, the plot driving it or the character development driving it? What is it that you're looking at as you're planning that far ahead? What do you want to see? A little bit of both, I would say. For me, it's always plot ahead. Uh, as, Maybe on the first of a series, I'm going to build my characters a little bit more than what I'm going to do on the second and third or fourth book in a series. But you always want to see your character with a moving forward. You don't want them to start at A and finish at A. You want them to start at A and finish at, at Z, maybe, and then recycle for the next book. Um, so it's a little bit of both. Uh, but if you've read books of mine, you know that nobody's safe. I'm a little bit like a Game of Thrones right. type of authors. Anyone can die at any time. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> well, with your characters, um, how do you how do you experience them? Do you have an inner monologue in your head? Can can you actually hear them um, when you're creating dialogue? Is it more of a visual experience for you? How, how does that work? Another great question. Um, on the first book of a series, it's a little bit harder. I, al I always try to build it around like what I would like to, to see on a movie. I'd like to do my book very cinem cinematographic. Um, but I also like to hear, when I know who the narrator will be, I can hear my character speak through his voice and my writing. So this is super interesting. Well, let me add in that and go and put those two questions together. The theme, the plot, how you hear it. If you read Simon, if people read Simon's books, at least for me, I see a constant theme of sort of family or relationships. Am I am I misreading your desire there, or is that something that you purposely have in kind of like at least the series, um, the Hunt series? 
Yeah, I think we all try to build our characters a little bit like we are in real life. Uh, I'm a family man. I've been with my wife for 23 years now. And um, I mean, family is important. I have a super, really good relationship with her, and she's part of my life. And I want my characters to feel through. I couldn't write about, um, I don't think I could write as well about a guy that's like, James Bond, for example, that, that goes from woman to woman, and it's not me, it's not who I am. Um, so, I, you know, when I was with the RCMP, uh, working counterterrorism, I was with my wife at 100%, and we, I talked to her about my experience, and she talked to me about her, so we kind of shared everything that was going on through our professional lives as well. And most guys that actually do that for a living, they have a family back home, they have a spouse that you need to talk to at night. Um, so that's what I'm trying to build. It's really rare that you're going to see a federal agent or a spy that's, that's actually single. It might be divorced, though. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, a lot you know, of those. Not, uh, it, it's, it's not the case for me. So I, I'm, I'm writing what I know and what I feel I'm, I'm good at. And one of the things that one of my editors, Thomas and Mercer, told me is that, oh, my God, you can write teenager girls really good when you're inside their head. It's because I have a 16-year-old daughter, and I know how she thinks. I know how she uses TikToks and Instagram. So I'm trying to – and it, it does influence my writing. Right? Now, Thomas and Mercer is Amazon, correct? Right. It's yeah. one of the traditional imprint of Amazon publishing. I'm not sure how many imprints they have, but they have at least five or six. And uh, they are ex- – they've been extremely good to me. I mean, they uh, when Hunt Them Down, the first book in my Pearson series came out in 2019, it kind of changed my professional writing life. Uh, my career really exploded at, at that time. So they've been really, really good to me. That's great. Well, you know, you had a long uh, career in military, law enforcement, protection, counterterrorism. Uh, what made you decide to become a writer? Is that something that you've always wanted to do? Uh, yes, I've been, I've been reading a lot since I was uh, very, very young. And uh, I was a single child. Uh, and we were traveling. I was traveling a lot with my parents, but we didn't necessarily have the money to travel by plane. So we did a lot of car ride to Florida from Montreal through two, three days drive. So I was bringing books from the library and reading them. And it never stopped. I always enjoyed reading. And at some point when I was working counter-terror with the RCMP, I was traveling a lot by plane, uh, going to Europe quite often. And I was, I was reading books. And even if there were some big-name authors that, that I love, but I think their action scenes weren't realistic at the time. Like, we're talking back, like, 15 years ago. Um, and I was like, I think I could, I could maybe do something better. I don't know. So that, that's how I started this business, not knowing anything about it and how hard it would be to, to break in. Um, but that's how I started. I never look at the odds. I said, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Well, how, how did you, um, or do you construct your action scenes? Do you, um, do you act them out? Um, do you go through maybe notes that you had for, from your military and uh, uh, police career? How does that work for you? Yeah, I do use, uh, you know, I've been, I've been involved in a lot of things with, with uh, mostly for me it was with the RCMP because I left the military. I was an infantry officer uh, in the military, and I left before 9-11. Uh, I was in RCMP training at the time, so I was never deployed as a military officer in a war zone. Um, for me, 
my part in the war on terror was mostly with the RCMP on the law enforcement side at the federal level. Um, but I use my experience uh, through, um, you know, everything that I did with the RCMP and the, the, the scenario-based training that we did in protection and counter-terror. I use that to try to make it, to, to write realistic uh, fight scenes uh, or action scenes. Um, and they come quite easy for me compared to maybe romantic or something like that that I would write in the novel. Action scenes for me are kind of easier a little bit to do than, than, than other stuff. So let me ask you a question with that and the previous question from Dave, David. The, um, you read a lot. As you're writing, are you reading in genre or are you reading out of genre? I've had enough thriller. I want to read broad ads. I want to read something outside the genre to broaden my mind or maybe think down the future something else I want to write. What do you read now? I rate, I only read thrillers in my genre right now just because I have, you know, I have a lot of friends that are writing and we kind of, yeah, I would say we support each other. I mean, I have, uh, it, it's, it would be hard for me to read outside because I have a to be read, to blur books that yeah, thank are you. super, <laughs> super high. Um, you know, I'm going to read uh, my friends Don Bentley's. I'm going to read all Mark Cameron's Tom Clancy's, his yeah, own yeah. books, R.S. Scottish series. I'm going to read Don Bentley. I'm going to read Joshua Hood's yep. book because he's part of the Ludlum Estate with me. I'm going to read, read Brian Freeman's book because he's writing the Jason Bourne books. Yes. And it's important for me to know those two series because we kind of collaborate on the same level. I'm going to read Jack Carr's, Mark Graney's, mm -hmm. and I'm forgetting a lot of other guys that every time they have a book out, I'm going to buy it and read it because it it kind of inspires me at the same time. I like to see how they're doing their dialogue, the, plus, the plot twist that they do. Um, so, of course, there would be a lot of other things that I would like to read, but right now I just don't have the time. It's a question of survival for me. <laughs> with two books a year and the travel with the family, it's pretty much everything I, I, I can read. Well, how did you get involved with uh, the Robert Ludlum estate and uh, the, the world of Jason Bourne? I know you're not writing the Bourne character, but I'm just curious how, um, how that all came about. Yeah, um, you know, uh, the editor for the uh, Ludlum estate now is Tom Colgan at Putnam's, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House. And Tom and I have known each other through friends of mine, a friend of ours like Mark Cameron, Joshua Hood, Mark Graney, Don Bentley. And we always talk during conference, which is BoucherCon or Triller Fest, and I know we always wanted to collaborate on something or me submitting a new series to him, but I've been so blessed with Thomas and Mercer, with my sales there, that I'm like, I'm happy where I am right now. Like, it, you know, so it didn't work out for, for many years, and at some point I was done writing a Thomas and Mercer book, because my books, I usually write them in two and a half to three months. Uh, it's very intense, but this is the time frame that I have. And when I asked my editor at Thomas and Mercer if they would be willing to publish more books per year, they kind of told me no. Uh, this is the space that we have right now for the type of thriller because Thomas and Mercer and APOB is very business oriented. And for them, with the numbers and the data that they had, they, they thought that it would be best for me to push one book a year. And I was completely fine with that. And I understand that decision. So I said, you know what, I have another six months. Uh, what am I going to do? So I sent an email to Tom Colgan saying, hey, Tom, this is Simon. Um, listen, I just finished my last book with Thomas and Mercer. I know your stable is full. You have Josh Wood, you have Brent Freeman, you have Mark Cameron. 
everybody Don Bentley, you're you're writing your your books, or Mark Ham, uh, your uh, Robert Ludlum and uh, Tom Clancy book. But at some point, if something comes available, keep me in mind. Within an hour, reply and say, "Oh my God, Simon, I cannot believe that you just sent me this email because literally 24 hours ago, I got an email. I cannot talk to you about it just yet. There's a lot of legwork I need to do, but I was thinking about you." And at the end of his email, he said, "P.S. This is not bullshit. This, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 my head's blown that you contacted me right at this time." So. Took a few months, and then he sent me an email and said, you know, you probably heard it by now through the grapevines, but um, the Ludlum Estate want to start a new series focusing on Black Briar, and I think you would be the perfect fit for it. And I said, absolutely. For me, it's a kind of a dream come true because I, like many authors, Robert Ludlum was uh, an inspiration for me. Big shoes to fill, yes, but exciting at the same time. I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to... Uh, to take a chance on it. Is, is there a um, born Bible, so to speak, or a Robert Ludlum world-building Bible that you have to draw from? And how much, um, how much freedom did they give you to create in, in, in that world of uh, Black Briar? So there's, there's, two, there's two things. The first part of your question, is there a Ludlum Bible? Maybe there was in the past, but since Brian Freeman took over, he reshaped the entire Bourne universe. You know, Jason Bourne is younger and everything. Since he took it over, he kind of reshaped it to the actual what's happening in the real world right now, which I think was brilliant because now we can operate in today's world without having to read the 14 or 15 books prior to it. Um, as for how much liberty I have, I think I, I'm the luckiest between the three guys, because I'm writing Black Briar, which I, I did not create it, because if you look at the last Matt Damon movie, Jason Bourne, they talk about Black Briar, and I think in the second movie, they talk about it as well, but now I revamp it, and when you'll read the book, you'll see how I managed to bring it to today. Um, but I created all new characters, so I, I didn't have any type of stuff that I needed to remember, uh, which was fantastic. Well, for, for the listeners, what is Blackbriar? Well, Blackbriar, before, b before I, I took it over, was um, where Noah was working. It was kind of supposed to replace the Threadstone operation. Okay. Um, but now what they do, you know, Threadstone is for assassin. Blackbriar is for counterintelligence and counterespionage now. So they're more reacting to stuff, trying to stop for states from stealing uh, Americans' intelligence secret type of thing. So they're not necessarily assassins. They are investigators. Uh, my two main characters, uh, Donovan Wade and Hélène Jouvert. Hélène Jouvert is a former uh, FBI investigator, a special agent. And uh, Donovan Wade is a CRA, CIA case officer. Um, so I kind of, they have a mixed background. Um, so I think it's very interesting. They're not all gung-ho. Of course, there's a lot of action in the book, but it's not like Josh Treadstone series, which is almost purely action. It's kind of a balance, I would say, between the Jason Bourne, bo uh, the Jason Bourne series and Josh Treadstone. Interesting. What, um, with, with Black Briar Genesis, what's the premise of that novel? 
Um, the premise of that novel, really, it's, it starts with the assassination of a Treadstone agent in Prague. But the thing is, he's not supposed to be there, and nobody knows why he's there. So Blackbriar came in and sent these two agents in Prague to investigate everything. And they realized that, um, you know, there's, a, there's misinformation about what's going on in the world and the media. So it's about a, a lot about fake news and who's controlling it behind. Um, and of course, there's a lot of actions as well. But it's an international thriller because this is what I love to write. You guys know I love to travel. So I'm going to go pretty much everywhere. And I, I'm, I'm, I love these international thriller. And I think that the Little Mistake was looking for that type of book. Let me ask you a question on you like to travel, get your scenery. People can live through your uh, writing on that. How about the internal agency stuff or the bureau stuff? How do you get your information on the U.S. intelligence services? Do you have contacts, friends? Just read. What's your what? What's the basis of the CIA, FBI stuff? Well, the FBI for me, I do have a lot of people that I know that are still with the FBI because as our RCMP officer, uh, I worked a lot with the DA and the FBI on many investigations. CIA a little bit less, but I do have friends that are working with CSIS, which is the kind of equivalent in Canada, but mostly more like MI5 than, than CIA. But, you know, they're really on a few things that are not classified. Um, but I don't go into exactly how the CIA functions because I'm not like you. I've never worked there, so I don't know how it works. That's why Blackbriar is not part of the CIA at all. It's right. an outside agency. There's a former CIA mm -hmm. case officer that works for Blackbriar, but I don't go into the CIA uh, organizational because I'm not familiar with it as much as you would be. Right. So, you, so as a writer, how much of the now location and the research that you do is now Simon's imagination? When well, do you Black say, I, this is you know, Blackbriar's imagination, right? Yeah. So how, how do you develop that? Um, I go with the flow and I try to keep it realistic as well. Of course, you need to take sometimes a little bit leap of faith. Um, but for the last Sentinel, for example, uh, it works directly for uh, the vice president, or the future vice president. He's like a special assistant to the vice president. So it doesn't really exist in real life. Like there's the, 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 uh, the executive office of the president of the United States, which includes a lot of people, but it's just a little part of that. So I'm trying to stay away from how the organization works because sometimes it can get complex and it bugs down the story. So I'm trying more to focus on what Clayton and Von Yaman will do and the bad guys than really making sure that I have the titles right, something like that. I, I try exactly. not to go into too much detail because, honestly, for, for a niche part of the reader, it's very important for them. But for most people, when you look at their, at their reviews, like, for example, The Last Protector has over, I think now, 16,000 reviews on Amazon. And... When I read some of them, one of the things that people sometimes don't like is when I get into too much detail about organizational stuff because it it confuses them. So I try to keep it as simple as I can. Well, how do you deal with reviews? Do you, do you like to read them? And <laughs> I used to at the beginning of my career, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm going to read the trade reviews. Like, uh, for example, today my publicist at Putnam sent me the review for Kirkus Review on the Black Barrier Genesis, which is fantastic. So I'm going to read that. Um, 
I'm going to read uh, the publishers weekly, circus reviews, library journal reviews, but the it's just too much now ratings and reviews on Amazon for me to read all of them. <laughs> I'm going to take a look once in a while, uh, but I'm not going to be like at the beginning of my career uh, reading everybody. Uh, it's just not possible. And now I, I trust myself a lot more than I did at the beginning of my career. I have a great team of editors at Thomas and Mercer and at Putnam's that I trust as well to, you know, if I go outside the line, they're going to bring me back in type of thing. So uh, I'm very happy. Uh, I'm very happy with that. But no, to answer your question, I, I'm, I just don't have the time to read all the reviews that are on Amazon or Goodreads. Did you have insecurities at the beginning of your career? Yeah. Yeah, it would be a lie to say that I don't. I mean, I took a leap of faith. I left a very good career uh, in law enforcement to, to write full time. Um, so, yes, it was uh, insecurities um, about my writing, not necessarily about uh, the financial situation because I'm very, I've been very lucky in life, so that was not a major concern for me. Uh, but, yes, I was, I was afraid of what people would think. And as you can tell by my accent, I'm, I'm a French-Canadian, so I do everything in French. English is a second language to me. Wow. So when I write, um, you know, I, I think – in French, and then I write in English. So, of course, it was a little bit more complicated uh, when I started to see, you know, if I was going to make it or not. So let me let me do the question, Scott. What's a day in the life? How much do you write? Do you, do you schedule out portions of your day? Is it, a, is it a business for you, nine to five, I'm writing, have a nice day? Or do you um, do it in sections? No, it's not like that because I have other family obligation. I'm, there's other stuff that I'm doing as well uh, on the business side. So I would say that, I'm trying to put in four to six hours of writing a day, but can be two hours in the morning, one hour in the afternoon, and three at night. I, I try not to do a schedule. The only schedule I'm going to try to follow is when I'm on vacation because I know my family likes to wake up a little bit later than I do. So I'm going to go at a quiet spot and I'm going to try to, to bring my word count uh, to where I want it to be um, uh, early in the morning. Well, I'm wondering... Um... The stress, things going on outside uh, your control, like the pandemic and stuff, does that affect your writing? No, I can't say it did. I mean, it was sad for me that I couldn't travel, but I, I, I think I'm in a very good spot in my life right now. My family is doing very well, and I know there's a lot of people that are much less fortunate than I do. So, um no, it didn't, personally, it didn't bother me that much. I mean, it was fun because we stayed home when I stayed home with my wife and kids. So, um, you know, we were all together. They were doing online schools. So I got to see more of them. Uh, no, I'm, I cannot say that, that I'm stressed out about the outside event. Of course, uh, when you look at the, at the market and what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, that's, that's worrisome for sure. But I, you know, I try to, I try not to think about it too much, even though I'm keeping myself informed of what's going on. Simon, you mentioned earlier in your career about insecurities, reading the reviews and things like that. Well, now you're many books down the road, series and the, and the born. What have you gotten better at in this time? Are you a better writer, better thinker, better plotter? What is it? How, you've, how have you developed from, I think I want to be a writer, to today? Um. I think at the beginning of my career, until a few years ago, I was a pencer. So, and I was losing a lot of time not plotting my book correctly. I could, I could go in a direction and find myself cut or stuck in a corner, 
and I had to erase 10,000 words, 15,000 words. And that's why it was taking me so long to write books before. When I started plotting my books uh, with all the, most of the twists and turns that were going to happen, I know how it started, I know where it was going to end, I know the location I was going to go, I became much better at it. And I have to, to say that, you know, I'm expressing a lot of gratitude to my editor at, at Thomas and Mercer who guided me along. The, 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 the editing process there is phenomenal. And I've learned a lot from my developmental editors there that, you know, every time that I'm writing now, I'm taking everything that I've learned from the red notes and the editorial letter from my previous editor that I'm including now in the book. So now I have the chance to work with Thomas and Mercer's editor and with the Putnam's editors, which is really fantastic. I'm, I'm learning. I'm still learning a lot and I have a lot to learn, I think. And that's how you get better. You can't just sit back and say, okay, I'm good now. I have good contracts. I'm set for life. I'm just going to do the bare minimum. You can't do that. You need to raise the bar with every book that you do. And for me to raise the bar is to learn as much as I can from other authors and from the feedback from my editors. Let me go back in time for a second. Let's go back beyond Mark and Josh and that game. What, and, and even Ludlum. Was there anybody before that? Were you a Le, Le Carre, you know, being French or whatever, using a pseudo, but is there a, were there other authors who you inspired you early on? Or, I mean, it could be outside genre too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I read all the Vince Flynn's book. I read most of the Brad Thor's book. I'm going to go back to Mark Graney again because I read him. I read the Grayman a long time ago. Um, these are the guys that inspired me. I love Lee Child as well. Um, it was it was really interesting. Um, you know, they, I think they they always done a great job, and it kind of inspired me at the same time. Well, do you find writing your books is there a subtext underneath the entertainment? Is there something that you're trying to, uh, I guess, get the get the reader to think about? More or less, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I was once told that Simon, your books are excellent, but they're gonna they will not change somebody's life. I'm I don't write the type of books that's gonna go on Oprah. I write <laughs> the type of books that you can bring to the beach, and I can guarantee you, you'll get a six to eight hours of pure entertainment. That's guaranteed. That's what you're buying. But I don't write the type of book that a year ago from now going to say, oh, my God, Simon had me discover this about myself. So, no, there's not really a subtext. It's like it's entertainment. I'm providing content to entertain people, but it's not going to change your life. And I'm, I'm honest about it myself or where I am in the pyramid or in the publishing world. I'm filling a, I'm filling a spot, and this is where I am right now, and I'm happy in that spot. Well, let's, so how do you balance the subtext and the family thing I asked about earlier, and the action parts of it. Like like Josh used to say, if you get stuck, you kill somebody. <laughs> so when do you, how do you make sure you have enough of the action mixed with enough of the stuff that makes people keep reading about the character development, things like that? Yeah, um, I'm not exactly sure how I come to this process. It kind of come naturally. One of the things that I remember from very early in my career was, uh, I don't know if you guys know Stephen James. He's a phenomenal author and uh, one of his books that he wrote about writing is called uh, Story from uh, Structure or oh my god I don't remember I've read it so many times I'm sorry oh, I kinda, yeah, yeah. I'm missing it but Stephen James wrote it and uh, he said you know when you want to keep something interesting for the reader and you're 
don't know exactly what you're going to do, ask yourself this question, what could go wrong? So in any type of situation where your character are, make something go wrong. Even if they're driving to the grocery store, make something go wrong and build from that. And I think that that's how I, that's kind of how I do it when I'm somewhat stuck. Well, if, if someone's never heard of you, Simon, um, and I can't believe that. But what? what? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. But um, <laughs> what one book would you suggest that they read to find out, you know, what type of a writer you are? I would say The Last Protector, the first book in my Clayton White series. Um, it's one of the best books I've written um, because this is uh, Clayton White, at the, we, we found him, and he's a former uh, pararescue officer, uh, combat rescue officer in the Air Force, and he's now with the U.S. Secret Service. And most of my time with the RCMP, which was spent in a unit that was like the United States Secret Service, I was the part of the protective detail of foreign aides of state visiting Canada and the prime minister details. So it was really interesting. So it's kind of the same background that I have, um, my character has. And I wrote this book from experience. So I think it kind of felt good to write that book, and it felt right to write this book at the same time. The flow was pretty good, and the reviews on it, trade and from the readers, have been excellent. And I think this is the book that I've sold the most copies of. Um, and I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of that series. And right now it's being shopped around in Hollywood because uh, we, we got uh, agent um, that picked it up maybe two months ago, and now they're they're shopping it around, um, and I think has a good chance of, of you know probably uh, seeing it on the screen at some point. Uh, next question. Take years, but we don't know. Yeah, I wonder if you see on the, the the screen or streaming. That was my next question. So. Yeah, um, it was a long process for me. Um, some people, you know, find agents right away for a book. For me, it was much harder to find book-to-film agents than a literary agent or a publisher, which I was very lucky. It was quite easy for me. But the book-to-film agents, because your literary agent won't shop producers and actors for you. You really need people that are in the entertainment industry in, in Hollywood and mm. hopefully part of the three, four, five big agency that there is there. And uh, so my agent pitch agents, uh, book-to-film agents in Hollywood, and, find, and we got... We got one, we got two actually very, very good now uh, that are with the uh, APA that are shopping the book around. And they picked The Last Protector in the Clayton White series because they felt that it was my series that, you know, people would love. Especially with when you look right now in Hollywood and you see, you know, the terminal is that that tremendous success. I think it was mm-hmm. 1.6 billion minutes viewed uh, with that uh, series from Jack Carr and Mark Graney's the gray man that performed extremely well. Lee Child performed really well um, with uh, Jack Reacher. There's a demand for the type of content that I'm doing right now. You know, for years it was YA. It was only thing that could, that could sell. But right now, it's getting back to the type of trailer that I'm doing. And I don't know for how long that's going to last. Maybe it's going to be a few years, a few months. Maybe it's going to be a decade. I don't know. But in Hollywood, what, one thing that I've learned is that you need to be very patient. Because if you think that the, the, the publishing industry works at a glacial, glacial spa, uh, pace, <laughs> it's, it's the same thing in, in Hollywood. Well, it seems like there's been a, a real like, resurgence in spy and military fiction. Do, do you know why that is? Do you have any thoughts on that? Mm, well, 
No, honestly, I don't know why. I mean, it's it's a cycle. I think people get tired at some point of only getting spy military thrillers, and sometimes they get tired about the um, about young adult and fantasy <laughs> and sci-fi. So there's a cycle, and people watch what they're gonna watch. And when there's a trend, uh, the trend's gonna last for a few years. It, it's important as a writer, though. I don't. I'm not gonna start writing young adult or sci-fi to follow a trend. I do what I what I love and what I know, and I'm going to wait for my time. When the cycle is going to come back to the type of thing I want, I'm going to throw my hat and let's hope that somebody's going to pick it up. All right, you bring up young adult. That makes my mind think of your teenage kids. Make me say to myself, do your kids read your book? And then they go, or they go, Dad, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. My daughter read a couple. My son started The Last Protectors, um, but... I can't say that they've read all of my books. I don't expect them to either. You know, at the beginning of your career, it, it was funny because it was important for me that the family, friends, and I was sometimes, did you, did you read my book? And I realized it didn't, I put people uncomfortable because it's, it's not everybody that's going to like the type of book that I write. You know, it's action-oriented or some violence, and I didn't want to put them in an uncomfortable position. So I stopped asking that question. I don't even talk much about it with my close friend and family. Well, do you, because I do this mistakenly, do you self-censor yourself as you're writing saying, boy, I better not write that graphic sex scene because my kids are going to roll their <laughs> eyes when they, when they read this down the road or my grandkids will read this. Do you, do you self-censor as you're writing? Um, I don't, not for them. Uh, I'm going to do it for my editors because I know what mm -hmm. pass and what doesn't pass. You cannot write anything that you want. Um, I'll take the Blackbriar Genesis, for, for example. There was, a, there was a, something that I thought was very, very funny, uh, but it was a little bit disgusting. It, it, and when Tom read it, he said, you know what, I'm not even going to send that to the little mistake. It's not, it's not going to pass muster. Like, I'm not, this paragraph, I don't want to see it. So it was easy. It was just like a, a side joke, but he said, nah, it's, <laughs> that's not going to fit the reader. So, but now, you know, that's lesson learned for me. I know that I cannot write that in Blackbriar 2, for example. And I've learned the same thing with my Thompson Mercer editor. There's few things that they say that they don't want or that they are uncomfortable about it, so I'm not going to do it. But I don't, I don't do it for my kids or grandkids because I'm never too – I don't do uh, sexual graphics. There might be a little bit of romantic stuff, but it's going to last a line or two type of thing. I don't go into the details. I did a few torture scenes in my Pearson books. Yes, you did. Um, <laughs> But I didn't get any bad feedback about as long as it's not too many, too often, I think it's going to go. Do you worry about political correctness when you're writing? All the time. Mm. All the time. I, if, you, if you know, you won't be able to tell what type of politics that I have in my book because I want to stay away from that because I don't yeah. want to piss off 50% of my readership. <laughs> Um, it's not. It's not just going to happen anyway. I'm kind of a swing voters anyway. In Canada, it's, we don't have the same problem as sometimes you have in the United States. So I'm. Mm. I don't understand everything that there is to understand in United in American politics. So I stay away from it, and I don't like to talk about it. And I don't think it would be fair for my reader to get my opinion on something that I'm not 100% informed about. Yeah, I do the same thing. I stay away from it. <laughs> yeah, me too. No ethnicity, no politics, no nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With, your, with your series books, are they, are they standalone? Are they self-contained? Do you need to read them in order to, uh, to understand them? Or, or can a reader just jump in and then work their way back? 
I think they will, a lot of people actually just jump in on book two and book three and that they, they buy the rest of the series. But personally, I think it would be better if you read them in order because the character building and everything, you don't want, as I said, my, some of my main character will die in another book. So you don't want to read about somebody that you know is going to die later on type of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I think you could pick them up and you read them as standalone. A lot of people are, are actually doing that. You know, I was interested with your military law enforcement agency type uh, background. Do you have to submit your books to government review before you publish? I know there are a lot of people in the States who have to do that, so I was just wondering if, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting right now. You agency for listening, get to my book right away, please. Thank you. <laughs> Um, no, I did for the first two in my Mike Walton series when I just get out of the RCMP, I had to, uh, but I don't anymore. And I usually don't discuss tactics that we, uh, that we use. And even if I wanted to, the tactics that we use when I was in are probably not the one that they will use nowadays because there's been a lot of thing happenings, um, Especially about ambush on a protector, uh, on a protectee, these type of things, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be exactly what I learned uh, like 15, 20 years ago. Do you worry about uh, getting uh, equipment wrong by accident? You know, things like firearms. I know there's a, a big contingent yeah. of readers who, you know, I, I, if you I, put I, a safety I, on a Glock, they'll come after you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do, and I usually, you know what, I'm so happy. So, so far, I didn't do any mistake until this week. But uh, somebody sent me an email, and I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot believe I made it's a It's a newbie mistake. Um, I'm not going to talk about <laughs> exactly Come what on, it mess is. up. Find it if you find it. But I messed <laughs> up, and I, I don't understand how I did it. I think 95% of the reader will not realize what it is. Uh, but some some of them do, and I know I'm gonna I'm gonna live with it. Uh, they will be corrected in future edition on the ebook. Nobody's gonna see it because it's getting corrected. But you know, it's a three place in the book, and I'm saying, and I I'm like I cannot understand how I made that stupid stupid mistake. But you know what? It happens, um, and you know, what what can I say? I need to move forward, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna overthink it. I'm just disappointed in myself that I let this one through. I think we all do it, and I think when, you know, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I think sometimes you get into this, like, fugue state or something when you're writing, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're seeing it maybe like a movie, and someone gets, like, hit with, uh, you know, gets shot with a shotgun, and they go flying through a plate glass window. <laughs> And which which wouldn't happen in through, because of physics in real life, but it happens and it makes it exciting in the films. And then all of a sudden, you know, you realize later on when, when you kind of wake up from from your writing session, it's almost like being in a dream that you go, "Oh wait a minute, <laughs> this doesn't happen in real life," and my readers are going to not be happy with this. Yeah, absolutely. Imagination. <laughs> Yeah, that's why you always need to self-fit it a little bit, what you did the day before, to make sure that that doesn't happen. But even when I do this, I, I miss this one. And I, I understand the technicality and, you know, how, how it happened after the fact only. Um, I changed something, and I didn't change something that went with it. And it shows now in the, in the book. So you got your books. The books are done. You got two. You got, you got Black Bear coming out, right? So what do you, how, what is your uh, method of 
marketing, talking to people, getting out? Do you like to go to bookstores? Do you like to go to book signings? Do you like to go to conventions? Do you like to interact with people online? What makes you tick with the, meeting the, the readers? Well, I'm lucky because with, uh, with Thomas and Mercer, uh, they have a fantastic marketing and publicity team that, you know, they're going to send somebody at Trilocus Boucher come to do a couple of videos with me with my books. They do book trailers, and they're going to they're going to send emails. I don't know what they do, but but I mean, it works. It works really, really well. Um, and of course, during the pandemic, I couldn't travel. But I usually try to go to BoucherCon and Triller Fest, and it's not really to market. It's really just to see my friends and and keep you know keep the um, uh, the the network going. You know. At some point, you become close friend with, with a few guys, and it's fun to, to have a few beers with them, meals or two, uh, these type of thing. As for my um, Ludlum book, I'm brand new with Random House and Putnam, so I'm not exactly sure what they will do for it. Um, what I do know that I read on Publisher Weekly is that I'm doing they're doing a 150,000 first print run in hardcover for the Blackbriar Genesis. So I know... It's going to be a very big book because if they're printing that many books, I think they will push it very, very hard. But what will they do exactly? I don't know. Well, I'm wondering, you know, when you're, when you're writing these books and you've written many, um, do you have any um, – have you found, I should say, any motifs, recurrent themes throughout your work? And if so – do, do you think it's um, consciously put in, or um, do you think it's just like an unconscious uh, thing that happens as you're writing? No, it's I, I consciously put in because I'm going to read the news, especially international news, so I know what's going on, and I'm going to try to incorporate that these things in my books all the time, for sure. Okay, so uh, we're running out of time now. So, Simon, how do people find you? Do you have a website? Do you do social media? Where do they find Simon? You can go to uh, simongervebooks.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at uh, Gervais Books. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. And uh, if you guys follow me, you'll see I try to respond to everybody that, that writes to me. Uh, I'm really enjoying interacting with, uh, with my fans. Um, so, you know, don't stay. Shoot me an email. Uh, if you're coming to TrailerFest or BoucherCon, just come and say hi. Always, always like to, uh, to talk about the industry and and books and two other writers. Fantastic. We'll have that up on our website as well so people can find you in that. Well, we really appreciate coming on the show. Our, our guest has been Simon Gervais. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us, guys. It was a true pleasure to talk to you, and I hope to see you in Minneapolis at VoucherCon if you guys are there. Thanks, Simon. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, all shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.